All right, good morning, Rabbi I'm going to stop Rabbi a few moments early to get a little bit of a head start. Such a such a powerful piece. Anyway, let's uh, begin by thanking our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Talmud. To thank Adam and Yudip and Zev for dedicating all the Shimon Drushos this month in honor of their children, Jake, Serena, and Rosie. To thank our week of learning sponsor, Yudin and Jennifer Goodhart, in commemoration of the, in commemoration of the yard side of Jennifer's father, Yeshaya Zalman Ben Lazar. We hope that in the merit. Of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamas, Shamo Havan Aliyah, and the family in Nechama. And with that, let us begin. A lot to do today. Incredible, incredible daf today. Today's daf is Samach Zayin, 67. And we are picking up, we left off in the middle of the strange exchange with Rabbi Eliezer. So we left off Samach Vav Amud Beis. Um, let's pick up Maula Hatzil Roa Bikivsa, or Roa Kivsa, Minari. So Rabbi say it's... Uh, Halfway down. Yeah, right halfway down. It's a, yeah, halfway down. So we'll say again, that's Rabbi Eliezer. Are you allowed to go ahead? What's the halacha with the shepherd saving the sheep from the lion? Now, both say there's a lot of discussion over here exactly what they're talking about when it comes to this particular case. Tulsus explains that they were asking Rabbi Eliezer a question regarding David HaMelech, the episode of David HaMelech and Bathsheba. And again, getting into all the technicalities of the nature of David HaMelech's behavior with Bathsheba. Calling right Bathsheba the sheep, David Amalek ultimately again is the lion, and uh, and Uriah Uriah called the roa. So they're asking David Amalek a veiled question regarding the behavior of David Amalek. Asking Eliezer a veiled question regarding the behavior of David Amalek. So lo shaltuni ala So he so Rabbi Eliezer responds to them, Why are you only asking me about the sheep? Okay, so they said to him, Fine. Mal minari. Can you go ahead and save the shepherd from the lion? You're only asking me about the shepherd. So once again, Rabbi Eliezer is being evasive and not answering the question. Mamzer, Mahuli Yoresh. We'll say interesting Shiloh. Is a Mamzer Yoresh's father? A Mamzer Yoresh's father. And they both say, we're not using that as a descriptive term, like a kid is a Mamzer, but rather Mamzer like a kid who is a Mamzer, a halachic term, right? So again, this is not like, can you write your Mamzer kid out of your will? This is, this is if a child is halachically a Mamzer, so do they have the Dine Yerusha or not? It's a fascinating question. So Mamzer, Mahul Yoresh, Mahul Yabe. They both say, listen to this, is there a Din of Yibum? With a mamzer brother, or in other words, or I should say, if a brother died and the surviving brother is a mamzer, again, not descriptive, halachic. So again, is there a din of yibum? Does that surviving mamzer brother have a din of yibum? So mahuli, so ma, ma, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm asking, I said that wrong. So mamzer maliyarish. So ask Rabbi Eliezer, does a mamzer yarshin his father? So Rabbi Eliezer is maliyabim. Does a mamzer do yibum? So once again, Rabbi Eliezer is not answering the question. Every time they ask him a question, that he goes in and asks a different question. So they ask Rabbi Eliezer, are you permitted to go ahead and plaster, plaster your home? Then I will say, Rashi says over here, both say, no, there is a halacha that says that one is supposed to leave an ama by ama square open in their home. And the Gemara says that we're not supposed to use this very bright white type of white plaster to plaster our homes. So they were asking Rabbi Eliezer, are you allowed to plaster your home with this very bright white plaster now that there's no base on Ikdosh? So Rabbi Eliezer responded, If we have time, I'll come back to that. It's actually fascinating because it's Halach and Shulchan Aruch that you're supposed to leave an Amma by Amma square unfinished on your home. 
And yet, again, in Eretz Yisrael, you see this all the time. But outside of Eretz Yisrael, rarely do you see it. So what's the pshat? So the Arach HaShulchan says something amazing. He says, the din of Amma by Amma was dafka only a din in the bright white plaster that they used to use. But the Arach HaShulchan says, because no one uses that bright white plaster anymore, the din of Amma by Amma is no longer in effect. That's what the Arach HaShulchan said. Interesting idea. In any event, so the Gemara says, so Kivro. So they asked him, do you, what's the halacha with plastering your home with the white plaster in it now that there's no base on it? And he said, are you allowed to plaster a grave? Remember again, they used to plaster the graves in order to go ahead and demarcate the area where a grave was. So we'll say the Gemara says, Rabbi Eliezer, was, Rabbi Eliezer was asked a ton of questions, deflected every single one of them. Why? Rabbi Eliezer was not trying to be difficult. We'll say, listen to this. Rabbi Eliezer never said something that he did not hear in the name of his Rabbi. He never said something that he did not hear in the name of his rabbi. And therefore, again, he simply would not answer the questions. of say, Pashtos, according to most opinions, the Rabbi Eliezer being mentioned over here is Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkonos. Who was Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkonos's um, rabbi? It, it was, there was Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai. Right? Two Rabbeim. Two Rabbeim. So interestingly enough, he never said anything that he did not hear from his rabbi. Now, well, so you say to yourself, so... So, okay, so there's an easier way to deal with this. What's the easier way to deal with this? Rabbi Lezer, somebody asks you a kasha, what do you say? I don't have a Minnesota for this. But see, here's what's interesting. People often remember things, people often remember strange things more than they remember normal things. So the fact that Rabbi Eliezer never answers these questions directly, but instead deflects, everybody remembers that. Everybody remembers that. Then once the Gemara explains his behavior, Everyone understands that this Talmud would not say something over the name of his Rabbi. Masha'enkin, it's possible that if he just said, I don't have a Masora, people wouldn't remember that this was his principled stance with answering Shilas. But in any event, Rabbi Eliezer was incredibly makbid, never to say anything over, not in the name of his Rabbi. Shalit was another example. Shalit Isha Chachmas Rabbi Eliezer. Me'achar Shemasa Egel Shavin, Mipnei Ma'in Misasan Shavin. So I will say there was a particular woman who asked, who asked, uh, Rabbi, there's the following kasha. The people who worshipped the ego, Rabbi, say, there were three different punishments for the ego. There were people who were put to death by sword. There were people who died in a plague. And there are people who are going to see who died with a machla, with an ailment called hidarkon. Right? Hidarkon was some type of stomach ailment. So this woman asked Rabbi Eliezer, if everyone is going ahead and kind of culpable in the same way, why were there three different punishments? Amr Allah, so I here, he responded a little bit more sharply. Ein isha a woman, right? There is no chachma for a woman except with the spindle. The chaynu omer v'chol isha chachma slave biadeh tavu. So we'll say. So again, this happens to get into another discussion about whether or not women should engage in Talmud Torah. A different discussion. Rabbi Eliezer was clearly of the opinion that women should not engage in Talmud Torah. Bishinamtam levanecha. This was one of the positions of Rabbi Eliezer. And therefore, he was a bit more dismissive of this question. Now again, it's, the same, it's brought down here because it's the same as Rabbi Eliezer did not answer because Halach Lamaisi didn't have a Mesora. He didn't have a tradition from his Rebbe about how to answer this. But Lamaisa, it's also reflective of a different view about the role of women in Talmud Torah. Itmar, so we'll say, once the Gemara brought this up, the Gemara says, Itmar, Rav Levi Chad Amar Zibach Vikiter Besayif. So we'll say, others explain that there was a fundamental distinction on how people were punished 
when it came to the Chet Egel. So one, ex- one, for, one said, for example, so if a person literally offered a carbon or Kitoris to the Egel, Besayif, they were put to death by sword. Gafaf Vinishik Bemisa, if you hugged and kissed the Egel, you died in a plague. Samach bilavavo, if you didn't do anything external, but were happy in your heart for the ego, behidarkon, or I should say behidrokon, with this, with this stomach ailment. V'chad Amar, other opinions said, no, the three different, the three different punishments were, V'chad Amar, Edim, sorry, V'chad Amar, Edim Basra Besayif, if a person, if there were witnesses, and Hasra, a person was put to death by sword, Edim below Asra Bemisa, if there are witnesses, but no Hasra, plague, if there were no Edim, no Hasra, then Hidrokon, the stomach ailment. I'm Rabbi Yehuda. Shivto Shalevi, lo Avad Avadaz Kochavin. Both say first wide line, Samach Vav Amadez. Shevet Levi did not worship the eagle. They didn't worship Avodazara. Shene Arabos, by the way, the Gemara over here, you know, in general, there is a whole machlokis about the nature of the Cheta Egel. Was it actually a sin of Avodazara or not? That itself is, is a machlokis. Psukim seem to clearly indicate when they say, Elo Elo Elohecha Yisrael, but again, even Elohecha, some of Farshim understand as a leader as opposed to God. In any event, the Gemara clearly reflects the view over here that the Egel was Avodazara. Shevet Levi did not participate in because the Pasuk says Moshe Rabbeinu stood at the edge of the camp and he said and who joined him called B'nai Levi and it was B'nai Levi ultimately again who joined him and I will say it says called B'nai Levi so Shevet Levi did not worship Avot Zorah Yossi Ravino V'kamar L'Hashmaisa so Ravino was, was, gave over the following ruling so the Gemara says, Ravino. So we'll say, so the sons of Rabbi Papa asked the following question. So we'll say, here's the problem. The problem is, you made it say, Ravina, you're saying all of Shevet Levi did not worship Avod Zarah. But then the Pasuk goes on to say, Omer who said, He did not see his father and his mother. Now this Pasuk is referring to the fact that Shevet Levi were the ones who carried out the killing of people who did worship Avodazara. And the Pasuk says that when the Levim were carrying out the punishment of killing people who worshiped the ego, they didn't see their father, they didn't see their mother, which sounds like they even executed their own relatives. Now, the relative of a lady presumably is a lady. So it sounds like Levim did worship Avodazara, to which the Gemara says, no, 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 not necessarily. Aviv is Avi Imam Yisrael. Aviv could be his, his maternal grandfather who could very easily be Yisrael. Ach, Achiv, his brother, Achiv Mi'imo, a maternal brother, who doesn't have to be a Levi. Mi Yisrael, Banav, who are his children, Bnei Bito, Mi Yisrael, his, 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 daughter's, his daughter's children, who could be Yisrael. So we'll say the idea is, the Torah refers to the relatives, that unfortunately, the relatives of the, the Levim had to pick up arms against their own relatives, but not Levi relatives, because the entire Shevet Levi did not worship Avodazara. It could be, unfortunately, they had to pick up arms against their Yisrael relatives. Incredible. But we'll say, let's go weiter. So the Gemara says, the Kevesh, Asulos. Remember again, the Mishnah said they made a ramp. They made a ramp to get the Ish Iti out of Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, Amra Barachana. So we'll remember again, then why is that? Why is that? Because the Mishnah says that the Babylonians, the, ba- the Bavliim, used to tear at the hair. Whose hair we'll see. They used to tear at the hair and say, get out, get out. So in order, in order to, uh, to allow the Ishiti to get out of Yerushalayim unharmed, they built a ramp. They built a ramp. Amra Barachana. Lo Bavliim Hayum. 
Ella Alexandria, also, you know, it's, it's interesting, by the way. You think to yourself, what crazy behavior? What, what, what crazy behavior, right? It's Yom Kippur. I got it. Everybody's eager for the seer to get out, right? But you're, like, you're yelling. You're, you're yelling on Yom Kippur. Right? It's just so strange. You're yelling on Yom Kippur in the base Hamikdash. You're pulling out the goat's hair. You're pulling out, you're pulling, or you're pulling out the guy's hair. You're pulling some hair, right? What's, what's the Shabbos said? I just want to point out to you, know, I don't know if you saw, it was a very, a very disturbing gun. There was, I think it was last week or so. I think, I think it was the, the, the women of the wall who came to, uh, who came to Davin at the, at the Kosal. And um, they were surrounded by a, by a group of young men and harassed and yelled at. And their sidurim were, sidurim were torn up. I'll, say, I'll go on record saying, I don't agree with the women of the wall. But what I, what I disagree more with is mistreating people. And mistreating people, mistreating people at the holiest site of the Jewish people. You see, I will say it's an interesting thing. Because wherever there is Kiddusha, there is also the greatest capacity for Tumah. And wherever the place where there's the greatest capacity for Achtus is also the very same place where there is the greatest capacity for sin asrim. It's, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing that you see sometimes again in the holiest places, the most outrageous behaviors could occur. It's always, you know, Rav Kook, Rav Ami very quickly, very quickly. says, that, this is the Pshak, where do we learn this from? When Yaakov and Esau are in the womb together and they're fighting. And Rav Kook, the Marala Prague also says this, that kind of like good and evil can't occupy the same space. And wherever there is an incredible intensity of good, there's always a pushback. And it's, it's, that, it's that back and forth. Wherever there is the greatest kedusha is also the greatest capacity for tumah. Wherever there is the greatest capacity for achtos is also the greatest capacity for sinas chinam. So here it's Yom Kippur and the Beis Hamikdash, and they have to build a ram because people are just behaving inappropriately. It's Yom Kippur. It's Yom Kippur. You know, let's say Yom Kippur is the one day where hold it together. Hold it together. The guy's going to go. He's going to get there. Everybody wants him to get there. The coin God was sending him on his way. Hold it together. Yet for some reason, where there is the greatest capacity for Kedusha, also the greatest capacity for outrageous behavior. So then, the Gemara Oh, good news. It wasn't Babylonians. No, it wasn't Babylonians. It was the Alexandrian Jews. Okay. But because the Jews of Eretz Yisrael hated the Babylonians so much, Hayukorin Osan al Shman. See, I will say, in Eretz Yisrael, when somebody did something stupid or terrible, he's a Babylonian. What a Babylonian, right? That, that, that was like the most disparaging thing you could call a person was a Babylonian. So what happens? It wasn't the Babylonian Jews who actually did this. It was the Alexandrian Jews who did this. But because the Jews of Eretz Yisrael despised the Jews from Babel so much, they called these people who acted appropriately Babylonians. We'll say, is it not heartbreaking to read these words? Is it not heartbreaking to read these words? And these words, these words, that sinna, that sinna is memorialized, right? It's here. These words are forever, right? We'll say, this is nitzchi. Everything else in our lives is fleeting. And everything else in our lives comes and goes. One thing I can guarantee you is that your children and your great-grandchildren and your great-great-great-great-grandchildren are all going to have the same daf, yuma daf samich vavam and beis. These words are here forever. And these words highlight the sinas chinam of Am Yisrael. We, we, we read it, so matter of fact, oh yeah, the Jews of Eretz Yisrael hated the Jews of Babel. Hated the Jews of Babel. See, anyone who dis, anyone who, who behaved in an inappropriate way, they called them Babylonians. 
how careful we have to be with how we treat each other and how careful we have to be to disagree agreeably and how careful we have to be to try to figure out how to get along even if we can't see eye to eye on the most core of issues and to never have these type of words written about us. The You're right, they weren't Babylonian Jews, they were Alexandrian Jews. Armada Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Tanuach daita shineach has daiti. Rabbi Yossi essentially said, whew, right? He breathed a sigh of relief. Why? Because Rabbi Yossi was from Babel. He was from a very prominent Babylonian family. And when he heard that the Babylonians would do this, he was very distressed. But what? When he really heard it wasn't the Babylonians, it was just the Alexandrians. But they called the Babylonians because everyone hates the Babylonians. He said, oh, I feel much better. I feel much better. Baruch Hashem, at least it wasn't really the Babylonians. They're both saying, the take-home message is how much we have to work on our sinas chinam, and how much we have to work on our avas chinam, and how many bridges we have to make, because we can never, we can never, these words, that these words are here in print and forever part of our Torah Shabbat is a tragic mistake of Klal Yisrael. We must make sure to never repeat these tragic mistakes again. Says the Mishnah, Tol they would tell the guy, get out, go, go, Tana, ma shoi tzifira din what they told the Ishiti was, why are you going ahead and delaying taking the seer when ultimately, again, all of the Averas of Klal Yisrael are still here? So they would tell him they were very eager to get him to go. This seer is Mechaper, and if they felt that he was tarrying or delaying, they would tell him, listen, there is work for the seer to do, ultimately, again, because the sins of Am Yisrael are great. All right, well, say incredible. Good, let's get to today's daf. Excellent. <laughs> Says the Mishnah, Miakir Yerushalayim, Hayu Malavin so we'll say, so now again, just to pick up, the Ishiti has left. He's left. He's gone over the ramp. He's gone over the ramp. He has now exited the city of Yerushalayim. On, so we'll say, now he is going to the, the, a cliff in the Midbar. He's going to a cliff in the Midbar. So the Gemara says, Meikir Yerushalayim hayum alavin also at sukkah harishona until the first sukkah. Now we'll say, we're going to wait until the first sukkah. Sukkah in this case, we'll say, not a halachic sukkah, just a hut. Eser sukkah, so we'll say, they set up. Ten huts from Yerushalayim until the Tzuk. Tzuk is the cliff from which they pushed the Seir of the Azazel off, top of Samech Zayin. Tishim Ris, Tishim Ris, the distance between, between Yerushalayim ultimately again and the cliff was 90 Ris. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Tishim Ris, Sheva Omech Tzalachom Mil. Right, seven and a half risk per mil. I'll call sukkah v'sukkah omrim And at every hut, they said to him as follows. Hari mazon v'hari mayim. They said to him, there's bread, there's water, order, and food. In other words, technically speaking, the Ishiti was allowed to eat on Yom Kippur. He was allowed to eat on Yom Kippur because his mission was so critical to get to the seir, to the cliff, and to push it off, that Allah said he was even permitted to go ahead and eat and drink. So in every, in every hut, they had food and drink for him. And they said to him, Here's food, here's drink. And they would escort him. So we'll say, it's interesting. There were people, not only was there a hut set up with food, but there were people in these huts from before Yom Kippur. They spent Yom Kippur in the hut. And their entire job was to kind of welcome the Ishiti, offer him food and drink, and then escort him to the next hut. With the exception of the, of the last hut, the person in the last hut. We'll, say, we'll see, because the last hut was really outside of the tchum of the, of the cliff. 
So whereas every hut, the one right there, well, hut A was able to write the person from hut A was able to was able to malave escort the ish iti to hut B and so on and so forth. The last hut could not escort the ish iti to the edge of the cliff because the edge of the cliff was out of the tchum. Ela omid mirachok veroa es maasov. Rather, what would happen? The guy from the last hut would stand at a distance and watch the kohen gadol as he performed the avod of the sirah mishdaleach. Mahaya ose. What would the ish iti, right? What would he do ultimately again when he got the goat to the edge of the cliff? Cholik loshon shel He would take a piece of red wool and split it in half. Chetziv kasher besela. Half of the wool he would go ahead and tie on a rock by the edge of the cliff. Vechetziv kosher ben shnei karnov. And then the other part he would tie between the horns of the goat. Vidachvu laachorov. And he would go ahead and he would push the goat backwards. Push the goat backwards. I will say, there are two reasons for pushing the goat backwards. There's a, probably a simple utilitarian one, which is what? Right? If the goat sees where it's going, but pashtos, it's not going to say, oh, thank you. Right? It's probably going to put up a fight. Right? And number two, we're going to see that the Ishiti Dafka wanted to see what would happen, if possible, to the string in between the goat's horns. We'll discuss this in just a moment. And the goat would tumble down the side of the cliff. By the time already the goat was halfway down, it was already, it already broke apart, right? It splintered apart into limbs. After this is done, now the Ishiti does not go back to Yerushalayim. Instead, what he does is he spends the remainder of Yom Kippur in the last hut, until nightfall, and then he comes back. And I will say, at what point in time does the clothing of the Ish Iti ultimately again become Tami? Because I will say, this is a Pasik. Rashi calls the Pasik, the Pasik says, the person who takes the Seir out literally again will launder his clothing. Laundering his clothing, of course, is a reference to Tuma. So when does he become Tame? As soon as the Yerushalayim, ultimately you become Tamer. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Mishas Dichyaso Lutzok. Rabbi Shimon argues and he says, no, you don't become Tamer until you actually go ahead and push the goat off the cliff. Incredible. So we'll say, let's analyze. Ten Rabbanon, Eser Sukos, Ushneim Asar, Milin, Hayu, Div Rabbi Meir. Meir says there were ten Sukos and a distance of 12 mil. Rabbi Huda Omer, Tesha Sukos, Vasara Milin. Rabbi Yehuda says there were nine sukkos and ten mil. Rabbi Yossi, Omer, Chamesh sukkos, Vasara milin. Rabbi Yossi, five huts, ten mil. Hayu, Vekulon, Ayyadeh, Eruv. And the truth is, all of them could be connected through an Eruv. Om Rabbi Yossi, Sachli, Elaz, Rabbi Im Ayyadeh, Eruv. If you're going to use an Eruv, Yecholani, Laasos, Afidushte, sukkos, Vasara milin. I can go ahead and even bridge the entire distance of ten milin with two sukkos. So, Kiman Azla Hadisanya, whose opinion is reflected in the following statement. Now, remember again, the guy from the last hut could not accompany the Ish Iti to the edge of the cliff. Who does that reflect? He stood at a distance. Kiman Kirabi Meir. Ultimately, again, it reflects the view of Rabbi Meir. So, we'll say, so the Rambam accepts the approach, accepts the approach as espoused in the Mishnah. Namely, that the distance between Yerushalayim and the cliff was 90 ris. So we'll say the Raman Perush HaMishnayis writes that 90 ris is 12 mil. Is 12 mil. If we go, now there's a machlokis about how much a mil is. It's somewhere between 0.5 and 0.7 miles. But if you go ahead and you say, if you just go with the basic calculation of 0.5, it turns out that the Ish Iti walked 6 miles. 
six miles from from the Abbasid. Now, it, it's probably not six miles from the Beis Hamikdash, but six miles from the edge of the city of Yerushalayim. So again, it's a doable walk. It's, a, it's definitely a doable walk. It is Yom Kippur. It is hot. And he has a goat, right? But, 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 you know, aside from all that, it, it's a, do, it's a doable walk, but that, six miles. So we'll say that, that's what is, they actually, you can go, they, 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 there is a, there is a mountain. I forgot there's another name for it today. I went there, one of my last trips to Aretz so you could take a Jeep ride up to what they say is Harazazel, right? This is the mountain where they went ahead. And it's about, it's about this distance right out of Yerushalayim, about six miles or so out of Yerushalayim. Obviously, the topography is a little bit different today, but Lamaisa, you, you know, you could walk it. It's, and you could understand when you see it, you begin to understand why they had these sukos. Because we'll say, Lamaisa, this, this was a trek, right? This, you, you know how tired, you, you know, we know how tired we get just by sitting in shul all day, right? In other words, I'm not, I'm not even doing anything. I mean, hopefully I'm doing something. But, but, but I'm not doing anything active, right? And yet again, I'm exhausted. So Ishiti, six miles, heat, heat, of, heat of the summer. And, well, not the heat of the summer, but the heat of Eretz Yisrael still. Good. Sigmar goes right. So we'll say every sukkah they told him, Ishiti, here's something to eat, here's something to drink. Tana, we'll say, listen to this, Gemara. Me'olam lo'hutrach adam lakach. Never in the history of the Beis HaMikdash did anyone ever eat or drink in one of the sukkos. Never ate or drank. So why do they have it? Ella, she'en adome mishiyesh lopas basalo, lemishe'en lopas basalo. It's a beautiful Gemara. Because the Gemara says, you can't compare someone who has bread in his basket to someone who does not have bread in his basket. In other words, they both say that sometimes the knowledge that I can eat if I need to, right? The knowledge that I can drink if I need to is enough to settle my mind. Pastors, I will say, we find this concept both in halacha as well as in hashkafah. I will say, I want to share with you the marsha. The marsha, just very quickly. We have, we have enough time to do all this. So the Gemara says, the marsha, I will say, it's just a one-line marsha. The marsha says, hari mazon, birushami kamar amale hari maimu mazon. All right, so it's interesting, interesting machlok is in the Bavli Yerushalmi. In the Bavli, it's, in the Bavli, the Lashon is, the Lashon is, Hare Mazon Vahare Mayim, here's food, here's water. In the Yerushalmi, it's Hare Mayim, Hare Mazon. All right, so an interesting idea. There's a different hashkaf and better than that also as well. Mazon, Mayim, Mayim, Mazon. But listen to this comment to the Marsha. He says, he says, She'ein hayetzer hara ta'av, ta'iv, ela davar shehu asrlo. Because at the end of the day, the only thing we really desire is what? Are the things that are forbidden. The forbidden fruit is always sweeter. Why do I, right? Both say, never, I'm never hungry at nine o'clock in the morning. But it incredibly Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, you hear my stomach growling from a mile away. What's the pshat? Because I can't eat, right? Pass the salad, both say, because forbidden fruit is always sweeter. So the incredible part of what both say is they tell the guy, you know, you could eat, you could drink. You know, say, so I guarantee you, how did it happen with the Ishiti? How did it happen? Probably the same way like it happened when we were young and we first started fasting on Yom Kippur before your Chayyim, right? What do you tell yourself? I know, I know I could eat another hour. Uh, so I eat the next sukkah, next sukkah, next sukkah, next sukkah. And what happens? Finally, he gets to the end. He gets to the end. Baruch Hashem. Shabbos says, it says the Marashah, because at the end of the day, we really only desire that which is forbidden. But once it becomes permitted in some fashion, the desire is not the same. Incredible. What would he do? He would take the red thread, split it in two. So remember, he would tie, the Mishnah says he tied part of it on a rock by the edge of the cliff and part of it between the horns of the seir. Why don't you just tie the entire thread on a, on a rock? 
Kevan de mitzvah besoyer Dilma kodim umalbin umiyas vedaite. I will say this is incredible. This is incredible because what's going to happen? See, the problem is if you would tie the whole thing on the on the rock, I will say, remember again, what was the chap of the of the thread? The goal was that the thread would turn white. If it turned white, that was a sign of divine forgiveness. What was the concern? If you tied the whole thread on the rock, what happened if it turned white before you pushed the seer over the cliff? I mean, halavai, halavai, such a thing like that. What could end up happening? You may end up not pushing the seer. So in order to avoid that, they would go ahead and, and remember, again, I both say, there is an avoda of the seer, la azazel, even for argument's sake, if the thread did turn white before he pushed it off the cliff. And even if Akash Baruch himself told you all is forgiven, there is still a mitzvah to push the seer off the cliff. I have an actor, Kulei bin Karnov, so why don't you put the entire thread between the horns of the goat? In other words, don't, don't, don't tie anything to a rock. But say, listen to this, because Zimnin, Degamish Le Lereshe Valava Daite. Because Rabbi say, we need it because what could happen? Sometimes if you just put the whole thread between the, between the horns of the goat, if you push the goat off the cliff and the goat, let's say, bends its head or turns around and you can't see the thread, that's going to be very detrimental. And I was about to say, part of the avoda of Yom Kippur was seeing the red, the red thread turn white. That, that, that was part of the avoda. We'll say, can you imagine? Can, you know, we'll say, we, we, you know, there, there's, a, there's a famous word uh, by the Sasemis. The Sasemis says, Sasemis says that, right on, let's say, Yom Kippur, right, in Mairif, there's my Rav Amatsi Yom Kippur. Not everybody knows that. Right? But there, 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 there is my Rav Amatsi Yom Kippur. So I'll say, so it's amazing. In, in, in that Mariv, we say, Slach Lano Avinu Ki Chatano. So says the Sasamas, what? What? Slach Lano Avinu Ki Chatano? What could I possibly have done between Hashem Hua Elohim of Ne'ilah and now? Right, what, what, what could I possibly have done? I know I didn't eat without Abraham because I didn't eat anything. I probably didn't speak Lashon Hara because I'm too tired to really say anything. So what, what could I have done? What, I was maharir about Avodazar. Like, what did I do? And the Sassama says something so beautiful. He says, at the end of the day, we've committed the sin of not really believing that we are forgiven. You see, a lot of times we go through life and we like to say, of course, all is forgiven. You start tabla rasa, blank slate but we don't really believe it. We don't really believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgives us. We don't really believe that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us a new start. We don't really believe that absolution is attainable for us. And that's a chit. Slach lano avinu ki Forgive me Hashem, because I don't believe that I actually have the ability to start again. So I will say, in Bismana Mikdash, you had the ability to tangibly see the Ribbono Shal Olam's forgiveness. And isn't that absolutely incredible? So let's look at the Braise. Tan Rabbanan, Barishona Hayakoshal Mashan Shal Zahora Sapesaha Ulam, Mibachotz. It used to be Rabbi Osai that what would they do? They would go ahead and tie the red string at the entranceway of the Ulam. Also remember again, the Ulam is the antechamber, right? The large Ulam. So they would tie the red string at the entranceway of the antechamber. And what would happen? Hilbin Hayusmechin. If it turned white, if it turned white, they were very happy. Lo Hilbin Hayuatzavin. If it didn't turn white, they were very sad. Umis Baishin, and they were embarrassed. His skinu, so I will say, what happens? So it turned out that Yom Kippur, see, I will say, the, the whole essence of Yom Kippur is optimism. The problem with the string is it's a double edged sword. If it turns white, ain't optimism gedolomizo. But if it doesn't turn white, it's like, what are we doing? You, you could imagine the feeling of dejectedness. So what happens? They decided, you know what? 
we can't put the string in public view. It's better not to. So what they did. They went ahead and they tied, they put the string up inside of the ulam. So again, Kohanim could still see it, Kohanim could still see it, but the general populace could not see it. So what happens? What would happen? So Jews are resourceful. So what happens? Somehow, I don't know, whatever, they, they contorted, they moved, they got better seats, they were able to peer inside of the Heichel to see the string. They write, Hilbin Hayusmecha, and the same problem came up. If it became white, they became very, very simchadik, very happy. Lo Hilbin Hayuatzab. And if it did not become white, they became sad. So we'll say, at a certain point in time, they stopped putting up the string in the base Hamikdash at all. They they stopped, and the only place they put the only place they put it was where they sent it with this with the Ishiti. He put half of the string between the between the horns of the goat, and ultimately again half by the rock, and that was it. It was not in public view. Amr of Nachum bar Papa Mishum Rabbi Elazar. So we'll say so again. Let's finish this. Amr of Nachum bar Papa Mishum Rabbi Elazar. Kafar b'Rishona how you koshin lashon shel zahores apesach ulam mibifnim. So we'll say same idea. They used to tie. They used to tie the string on the entranceway of the ulam on the inside. Kaven shegiyas yir lemidbar hayam malbin. As soon as the seer would reach the midbar, ultimately again the string would turn white. The yadu shenasis mitzvaso, and they would realize that the avod of the seer was done and forgiveness was attained. Shneimar imyuchata echem kashanim kashela galbinu. So we'll say again, if your sins are crimson red, they will be turned white as snow. So we'll say incredibly beautiful. First, beautiful also to have a tangible display, of, uh, to have a tangible display of the ribano shel olam's forgiveness, but also again, you see the evolution of the string from outside the ulam to inside the ulam. Ultimately, again, to now only going with the ish iti by the cliff. So, I will say, it turned out that by the end of this process, or as we got to the latter part of the Beis Hamikdash era, the string was not was not put up in the Beis Hamikdash at all, but rather the ish iti would tie half of it between the horns and half of it behind the rock. So, I will say, you'll say to yourself, "I, but what happens? What happens if it turns red? Right? If it doesn't turn white?" And the ish iti comes back and tells them it didn't turn white. So, I will say, "What? What, what happens?" What happens? So don't we run into a problem? So two things. First of all, he was only coming back when? After Yom Kippur. And I both say an incredible use in human, tech, in, in human, human mindset, human behavior. People move on. People move on very quickly. In other words, if you were to come back and tell them, that I think, that the string did not turn white, right? Okay, Yom Kippur's over. Yom Kippur's over. I will say an incredible use into the way people are. The greatest challenge in life is that we tend to not take our experiences with us. We tend to go ahead and experience things, and then once it's over, it's over. Is this not my sin? B'chol shona, have Yom Kippur. How many promises do I make over the course of Yom Kippur? Right? How many Kabbalahs do I make over the course of Yom Kippur? And they last for some amount of time, but then simply I move on, and life usually lapses back into normal. Human nature is once we move on, we move on. The Baal Shem Tavak Kodesh says, this is what we say every day in the evening. At the end of Yishtabach, we say, Abocher b'shirei zimra. The Baal Shem loves the shirei zimra. You know what the, you know what the Baal Shem says? You don't, it's not shirei. It's shiarei. Abocher b'shirei zimra. Ribbono shal olam, allow me in life to take the shirayim of the Zimra. We'll say, what are Shirayim? Shirayim are leftovers. Leftovers. That the greatest you sowed in life is to take the leftovers of all of your life experiences with you. To never allow the impact of experiences to end when the experience ends. 
You have to take shirayim. You have to take leftovers with you, both from the good as well as from the challenging. The problem so often in life is we don't learn and we don't grow from our experiences because once they're over, they're over and we move on. Haboche b'shiyorizim. We have to take the shirayim of every life experience with you. So it appears that, you know, by the time Yom Kippur is over, Yom Kippur is over. And again, I'm building my sukkah. I'm getting my little vanessa. I moved on. Zman Sin where, you know, we're moving, we're going. And again, it would appear that even if he came back and said, oh, by the way, guys, just want to let everybody know, you know, the string didn't turn red. What, what would people do? What would people do? Well, first of all, you have to act from. So, right, if you're saying, oh, and, and then what would happen? Then, then, then you just go back to business. You just go back, incredible you sort about the, just human behavior and how we have to try to avoid that at any cost. Take the shirayim, take the leftovers of your experiences with you throughout life. Incredible. So I will say, what would happen? By the time the goat got to the middle of the mountain, it already ripped apart. It's so fascinating. What is the halacha regarding the limbs of the seer? Are they mutter bahana or not? Obviously, you, you can't eat it because it's darash shkita, but I don't know. Whatever, there are a lot of uses for goat limbs, whatever they might be, right? You could feed it to your animals, right? You could sell it, right? So, 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 so what, what is the status of those limbs? So, Rav Shmuel Machlokis, Chadamar Mutarin, one said it's mutter, mutter bahana, the Chadamar Asurin, one said it's Asur. So, let's analyze. Chadamar Mutarin, the one who says that it's mutter, Dechsev Bamidbar. The Torah says that where does the seer take place? In the Midbar, right? Ultimately, again, just like the Midbar of Osai is Hefker, right? No one owns anything in the Midbar, right? The Midbar is Hefker, so too the seer is Hefker as well. I.e., again, the limbs are not subject to any type of Me'ila. Oman da Amar Asurin, the one who says that no, the limbs are Asur, the Chsiv Gezeira. Because interestingly enough, it says Gezeira. Look at Rashi. Now, Gezeira literally means uninhabited. Right? Eretz Gezeira is a reference to the desert where you find the cliff. Right? And it's, it's Gezeira. It's, it's, you, take the, you take this here to an uninhabited place. Interestingly enough, however, the Gemara is dashing Gezeira also means like a Gezeira, like a decree. Rashi says, Lashon Chomer V'Isser. So it says that the seer is done by Eretz Gezeira, which means the seer remains Asr. Even the limbs, once they come apart, are still considered Asr as well. Man Asur So we'll say, so the one who says that the limbs are Asr, what does he darshan from the word Midbar? He needs it for the following. Hamidbara, Hamidbara, Bamidbar. The Torah states the word Midbar three times in the context of the Seir Lazazel, the Rabbos Nov, the Givon, Shila, Ube Sulamin. We'll say to teach us as follows that Halacha wherever there was a Mishkan or a Mikdash, ultimately, again, there is a Chiv of a Seir Lazazel. So as long as there is a central house of worship, Wherever it is based, Nov, Givon, Shiloh, Beis Hamikdash, there is a din ultimately of of Sirla Azazel. The and I both say the one who darshins Bamidbar, Midbar. What does he do with Gezeira? So Gezeira in Gezeira Elachatucha. Both say what does Gezeira mean? Gezeira means Hatucha that you can't throw the goat off any cliff. But rather, again, about Sirashas Chatucha, Suk Chatach Vizikifa, Velomashupakalkach. I don't know what you would call like the topographical term over here, but when you have cliffs, there are two different types of cliffs. You could have a cliff with a slope, and you could have a cliff with like a, a sharp, straight edge. So Gzera teaches me you have to use a straight edge cliff. Straight edge cliff. Dabra Acher, 
Ein gezeira ela davra hamizgazer v'yoreid. Others say gezeira means we say something that tears apart as it goes down. So as the right as the goat goes down, it's torn apart. Davra acher gezeira. We say so. I was also say something amazing about this, just to contemplate. If you notice again, just the incredible dialectic of the Yom Kippur service. On one hand, the part that's done in the base hamikdash is so scripted. And every place is so scripted, right? Sprinkle here, go there, walk into the Kodesh Hakadoshim like this. Face in this direction. Come in this direction. Come into the come come to the come to the Mizbeach Hazav this way. Walk around it this way. Everything is scripted. Yet here we'll say, what's what's which mountain? Which mountain do you go out and throw the seer off of? Which mountain do you throw the seer off of? We'll say the truth is, if you notice again, by the way. We don't identify a particular mountain. We describe a particular type of cliff. And the Mishnah describes the cliff they used to use. It was six miles out of Yerushalayim. But if you notice again, there's no particular mountain you must use. But rather, again, so isn't it interesting that one part of the Avodah is so scripted and the other part of the Avodah kind of you have a little bit of latitude to figure out where to do it. And isn't that our Yiddishkeit as well? There are things you have to do in certain ways and then there are areas in which there is a certain level of freedom of expression, but also the Yisod, that also the Yisod, that wherever you are, even outside of the confines of the Mikdash, even in the Midbar, even Eretz Gizera, you have to take your relationship with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu with you wherever you go. The relationship doesn't just apply in the scripted, defined areas of the Mikdash. But even when you're in the desert, even when you're Be'eretz Gezeira, your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu must follow you along. And it may be unscripted in those areas, but you have to figure that out as well. Incredible use. So, Dovracher, What does Gezeira mean? Shema Tomar, Masetohu. Maybe you'll look at this whole thing of this Mishtalech and you'll say, this is a little bit crazy. Right? What are we doing? We're pushing goats off cliffs. Right? Well, so, you know, sometimes you think about people like looking in. There's a lot of things we do in Yiddishkeit that look a little bit strange, that might be hard to explain to others. This kind, if you think about it, this to a certain degree takes the cake, right? On the holiest day of the year, so what are you guys doing? We're pushing goats off cliffs, right? And that, that's that, and it's a major part of our service, right? It's a major part of our service. Maybe you'll look at this and you'll say to yourself, that's a little bit strange. Talmud Lomar, Ani Hashem. The Bazik says, I am Hashem. Ani Hashem gizarte ve'in l'charushus lahar herbahin. I commanded you to do this. I commanded you to do this. And don't ask questions. You see, I both say, isn't this incredible? Part of the avoda of Yom Kippur is pledging our allegiance to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And pledging your allegiance to HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not manifest itself in following the things that make sense to you or that you like or that speak to you. But the greatest, the greatest pledge of allegiance to HaKadosh Baruch Hu are doing the things that do not make any sense to me. And in fact, maybe even seem a little bit strange to me. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells me to do it, so I do it. That's part of the avoda of Yom Kippur to pledge my allegiance to Akutriosha. I'm in this. I don't do the things I do because I like it, because I want to, because I believe in it, because I do it because you ask me to do it. So on the holiest day of the year, you tell me I have to push a goat off the cliff, I will push a goat off the cliff. Amarava, Mr. Commander Mutari. So back to our previous Machlokas. It seems to be clear according to the opinion who says that the limbs are mutter. Because we'll say, if the limbs are not mutter, what's going to happen? Somebody on the bottom of that cliff might not realize that that was the Azazel goat. 
they may come across limbs, and again, on a basic level, want to feed it to their animals. So you're going to set someone up to be in a state of Isser. It must be that once you throw the goat off the cliff, because we'll essentially once you throw it off the cliff, the avod is done. Once the avod is done, it's no longer going to be subject to me. Azazel, she he azvikasha. So we'll say now a little bit of description. It calls it Azazel. Right? Azazel is the name of the desert. So why does it call it Azazel? To tell you that the terrain and the mountain must be azvikasha, which really means hard and rugged. Yachol be Yishuv, you might have thought you could do this here, Azazel, in an inhabited area. Tamalomar be Midbar. Therefore, the Torah says be Midbar. Uminayin Shebet Sukh, how do you have to use a cliff? Tamalomar Gezeira. So what's that? Gezeira means again, jagged, cut off. Uh, it means uninhabited, but the Gemara is using it to also mean jagged. Tanya Idach, Azazel, Kasha Shebaharim. Azazel means you have to find the most rugged of the mountains. Vechinu Omer, so we'll say, what does it mean, Azazel? That it's Mechaper, it atones for the sin, ultimately, again, of Uzzah and Azazel. We'll say, what is that talking about? If you actually, but before, but we'll come back to Uzzah and Azazel in just a moment. I just want to end off with this piece. So, turn Rabbanon, Es Mishpati Tasu. Right, you shall go and perform on Mishpatim. So the Gemara says, Dvar, so the Gemara says, Dvarim she'omali nichtavu. Actually, we'll say, we'll, we'll stop over here. We'll pick up, we'll pick up with Maaseh, Mechaber, Maaseh, Uzav, Uzal, Fazal, Amir Tashem tomorrow to continue a bit more in the Seir La'azazel. And then Amir Tashem again, we'll continue with the next mission as well. Shkoya. Let me just uh, stop the camera. Incredible, no?